Before we get started, a note. Delaware by Dark discusses themes of suicide, murder, mayhem, and things skulking in the shadows. Listener discretion is advised. If you're having suicidal thoughts or thoughts about hurting others, please reach out for help. Contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or your local mental health provider. Help is always available to you. And now, dim the lights, open your mind, and watch the sunset. The scariest things in the world often reside in the human mind. Our species has long been blessed with the ability to invent high concepts, fantastic inventions, and entertaining art. It's allowed us to rise from terrified creatures huddling in groups on a savanna to our current, much loftier position. Our imagination might indeed be the best part of us, but every coin has two sides, and sometimes a blessing can be a curse. How often has your imagination gotten you into trouble? How often has a creative thought not panned out? How often have you scared yourself by inventing a pair of slathering jaws in the darkness? Imagined threats once served our species well when we could easily be prey. And fear that deeply ingrained doesn't dissipate. For all of our tools and talents, our weapons and fortifications, we're still the same creatures we ever were. No sharp claws, no ripping teeth, no great speed. In many ways, we're still as soft and defenseless as the day we were born. So it's easy to imagine the beast still on the hunt, even easier for us to believe in the stories people tell us about them. Medieval bestiaries would illustrate animals from far-off dispatches. Old maps would say, here there be monsters. The unknown is the perfect sanctuary for the wild creatures in our imagination. Most people would believe that our knowledge of the world's animals is nearly encyclopedic. We assume we have found an example of every single notable species there is to catalog. But what about the fact that we have explored less than 5% of the ocean? Did you know about a portion of Brazilian rainforest the size of Austria that outsiders are forbidden to enter? Did you know about the network of caves in Vietnam, large enough to contain a skyscraper within its deepest sections? There are still many blank spots on the map. There are still many places a monster could call home. Maybe some of these places are closer to your backyard than you ever could have believed. My name is Mark Belisle, and this is Delaware by Dark. The year is 1631, and the first European settlers have set foot in an area that would one day be called Delaware. After they landed, Dutch colonists negotiated with local Native Americans for a tract of land near modern-day Lewis Creek. The 28 men and boys set up camp, unloaded their supplies, and named the place Zwanendal. They were ready for a new life, for a new market, and for a slice of peace in the wilderness. But there would be no peace for those Dutch colonists. After killing a local chief due to a mutual misunderstanding, Zwanendal was met with swift and bloody retribution as nearby tribes destroyed the settlement, killing nearly everyone save for two boys. 
it was an inauspicious end to the first colony in Delaware. And what does any of this have to do with monsters in the first state? Well, to commemorate the 300th anniversary of the colony's founding, the city of Lewis established the Zvanendal Museum. Styled after a city hall in the Netherlands, the museum is open even today and boasts an impressive collection of artifacts and exhibits. You could spend hours poring over recovered dishes from shipwrecks and Dutch curiosities. But there is one artifact that has become quite famous. Inside a glass case, seated on a blue velvet cushion, a real monstrosity calls the museum home. And just what is the beast? A merman pulled straight from the waters of some uncharted ocean tide. The creature is awful. The thing has a scaled tail, a ridged back, and sharpened talons that appear ready to rake flesh. It looks half fish, half shrunken monster. What kind of creator would have made such a horrible thing? Turns out, the answer is most definitely a 19th century prankster. The merman is probably one of many produced by Asian peoples for ceremonial rituals or display. In Japan, they were called ningyo, and the oldest of these is preserved in a temple on the island of Kyushu. When westerners came east, people realized there was good money to be made. Anyone with access to fish and monkeys could earn a nice payday. Attach a monkey's shrunken head to a fish's body, and voila! instant sea monkey. P.T. Barnum had one that he called the Fiji Merman. He leased it for $12.50 a week and displayed it in his Museum of Oddities. The one that resides in the Zvanendal Museum was sold to a captain in China, who in turn gifted it to a local family named Martin. The Martins lent it to the museum, and after the last one died, the town got together and bought the Merman for $250 a steal for the most intriguing artifact in the museum. The Lewis Merman is one of the stranger things kept in a town that has existed in one form or another for nearly 400 years. With a town this old, there's bound to be at least a few secrets. It's easy to see why the Merman is so... memorable. The wretched thing's form is haunting enough, but the really awful thing is its expression. Its wide eyes surprised its mouth forever open in a shriek of pain, its teeth still sharp after hundreds of years. It's a grotesque invention, but people invent monsters for many reasons. Forty minutes to the southwest of the Zvanendal Museum, there's a place in Delaware that could have given birth to the merman. The Great Cypress Swamp is quiet, eerie, and home to over 70 species of birds. The swamp is the northernmost cluster of bald cypress trees in the United States. The entire place would look more natural in the deep south than in coastal Delaware. Sphagnum moss hangs in the canopies of the trees, and portions of the place are completely submerged. The swamp itself is unique. But more interesting is the place's history, and the beast that was once said to lurk within its borders. In the 1930s, Delaware was experiencing a terrible drought, similar to the one plaguing the Great Plains during the Dust Bowl. Everything was dry as tinder, so when a hidden bootlegger distillery exploded, the fire threatened to destroy the entire swamp. Volunteers would spend hours battling the wildfire. They'd beat it back, only to have it reappear miles away, 
people were completely at a loss. That is until they discovered it wasn't just the trunks and branches of the tree that burned. The underground peat moss and buried cypress wood had caught fire as well. For eight months, people played whack-a-mole with the flames as the blaze spread randomly around the swamp. After the fire was finally contained, thousands of acres of trees had been torched. What had once been called the Great Cypress Swamp was now known by a new, more fitting name, the Burnt Swamp. It was from those charred groves that the Selbyville Swamp Monster first made its horrifying appearance. The year was 1964, and a passing car navigated the burnt swamp in the darkness. Their windows were rolled down to let the night air in. Frog songs and night birds could be heard for miles. As they rounded a turn, the car's headlights knifed into the darkness, and they saw a terrifying sight. A bulky humanoid shape lurked just off the road. It was shaggy, covered in moss, and staring at them with murderous intensity. The tall creature dragged behind it a large club fashioned from scorched cypress wood. The driver, shocked at the appearance of the monster, slowed the car down without thinking. The shape before them paused. A moment passed. The night grew quiet. Quiet enough to hear the beast's ragged, steaming breaths. Quiet enough for the motorists to hear their pulse in their ears. The creature began to lope towards the stopped car. The club glinted in the headlights. A single large spike had been driven into the weapon's head. The motorist screamed and put the car in reverse, tearing large divots into the dirt road and throwing mud everywhere. They had barely escaped. When they got back to town, the motorist debated on what to say about the whole thing. Would the police believe them? Probably not. The cops were more likely to send them to a madhouse. Instead, they reached out to the editor of the Delmarva News, a man named Ralph Grapperhouse. At first, Grapperhouse laughed off the story, but then something eerie happened. He got another report of the beast, nearly identical in description to the last story, and then another, and then another. A few weeks after the first sighting, Grapperhouse knew he had to do something. So he published the first account of the creature that would eventually become known as the Selbyville Swamp Monster. Soon, word had spread through central Sussex County that there was something awful lurking within the burnt swamp, something driven out of hiding from the massive fires some thirty years before, something that had an axe to grind with passing travelers, something with a taste for human blood. People as far as Dover, Delaware and Salisbury, Maryland began to cruise the dirt roads. Everyone was looking for the beast, and some of them found it. The monster chased down countless souls in the dark nights, and was even captured on film several times. People began to bring slaughtered chickens to the swamp to try to appease it. Other people decided there was nothing to be done but to hunt the creature down. People brought guns into the swamp for the chance to bag the biggest monster in all of Delaware. It was a scary time. Trigger-happy drunks on the road and a monstrosity in the forest. Eerie screams in the dark. The sharp crack of rifles fired into the night sky. Most reasonable people stayed home. And then, just like that, the Selbyville swamp monster disappeared. The sightings stopped in 1964. 
people began to wonder if the monster had been killed, or if it had moved on to more private accommodations. The mystery, it seemed, only deepened. Until 1987, that is. A bombshell article in a local newspaper said the whole thing was a hoax perpetrated by editor Ralph Grapperhouse. It was a stunt to sell papers. Fred Stevens, a lifelong resident of Selbyville, Delaware, came forward and admitted that he was the Selbyville Swamp Monster. Had been since the early 1960s. He said Grapperhouse had seen him in a swamp suit fashioned from an ant's old raccoon coat during a Halloween parade. Stevens said the two of them would go out into the swamp, stage photographs, and then Grapperhouse would publish them in the paper. For his part, Stevens said he had a lot of fun being the monster. He dressed up in that old raccoon suit countless nights and would terrify people. And the club? An old baseball bat with a railroad spike driven through it. He even enjoyed the bloody chicken carcasses left for the monster. But it was the men with the guns who finally made him call the whole thing off. Who would have thought, not wanting to get gunned down in the middle of the burnt swamp has a way of cleaning up someone's act. After he hung up the coat for good, Stevens promised Grapper House he wouldn't say anything for 25 years, and he kept true to his word until the articles came out. Another Delaware monster debunked, or nearly debunked anyway, because it doesn't explain why sightings of the monster are reported today. Have other pranksters taken up the mantle of the Selbyville Swamp Monster? Could someone with a ghillie suit and a strange sense of humor be out in the swamps, even now? Possibly. Probably even. But that doesn't explain the first sighting of the Selbyville Swamp Monster. All the way back in 1921, two men prowled the swamp one night. They were looking for raccoons, and it quickly became apparent they weren't the only ones on the hunt. The night quiet was split with inhuman screams beyond the tree line. The two men froze, and the sounds of something large, fast, and ravenous approached. Rather than open fire, the men backed away and retreated. Branches and twigs snapped. Growls and heavy breaths made their blood go cold. And eventually, the form of the beast was revealed. Something massive, hairy, and slouched towered over them. They bolted and ran, escaping with their lives, in a story that hardly anyone believed. So there you have it. Did Grapper House and Stevens crib the legend from sightings 40 years in the past? Or was there something that once stalked the burnt swamp? Perhaps we'll never know. But the legend persists to this day. Merriam-Webster defines the term cryptid as an animal that has been claimed to exist, but never proven to exist. Until just recently, there were two states in the Union that had never once had a sighting of the most famous cryptid of all, Bigfoot. The first was Hawaii. The second was Delaware. But things have gotten really, really weird. In 2004, a local college student traveled along a back road and came to a stop sign. As he slowed, something caught his eye near a utility pole. It was seven or eight feet tall, he estimated, and completely covered in hair. As he drove past the thing, 
A pair of intelligent eyes returned his gaze. The student drew pictures of the thing he encountered, and it definitely looks like Bigfoot. Another sighting happened in 2010. A woman and her family were returning home from vacation. They passed by a large cornfield when they saw a hulking figure towering over the late summer corn. She reported the sighting, completely convinced of having seen Bigfoot in the flesh. But I'm not sure I'm quite willing to believe in all of that. There's a lot of reasons why Delaware wouldn't be a great home to a cryptid. For one, our state's small size doesn't exactly offer roomy accommodations to anything that doesn't already have a niche within the environment. The constant development that tears down forests, drains marshlands, and constructs ticky-tacky houses everywhere there's a free quarter acre is also a problem. It's hard to settle when your home is constantly getting demolished for overpriced townhouses. Just ask the local populations of deer, raccoons, and foxes dealing with forest floors turning into blacktop. But there are a few places in Delaware protected from the hungry jaws of real estate, and those areas would be the most likely sanctuaries for a cryptid. Places like the Prime Hook National Wildlife Refuge. Situated between Lewis Beach to the south and Slaughter Beach to the north, the Prime Hook Refuge boasts 10,000 acres of federally protected marshland. Most developers salivate for the opportunity to turn all that vacant land into oceanfront property worth millions of dollars. At least until the Atlantic Ocean decides to reclaim Delaware in the very near future. But for now, Uncle Sam holds Prime Hook safely in his hands. Maybe he also cradles a new, unidentified cryptid at the same time. Strange reports and sightings have been coming from Prime Hook since the year 2000. Kayakers and hikers have reported something odd lurking in the reeds and tall grass on the banks. Some people say the creature looks like a tiny humanoid gremlin. It harkens to the Pukwaji, a small mischievous creature prominent in the native lore of both the Nanakok and the Lenape tribes. Others who have seen the Prime Hook monster claim it's much more animalistic something gangly and odd-shaped. Some witnesses claim the creature looks like a cross between a maned wolf and a household pug, all square-faced and long-legged. They claim to have seen it hunting in the grass and slinking away once it's realized it's being watched. The stories are scant at the moment, but perhaps with more time and the ever-encroaching march of progress foisted upon the natural world, Humans will flush the beast out into the headlights of some busy highway. The truth will be laid bare before the world for just the briefest of moments. At least until a rumbling diesel truck with Pennsylvania plates runs the creature down as they speed towards the beach. Progress is a beautiful thing. So Bigfoot is out, swamp monsters are unlikely, and so far the only real thing you can see is a hoax and a knockoff Dutch museum. You must be thinking this episode's a real winner, right? Not so fast. While the search for an honest-to-goodness cryptid in Delaware took a while, the last two stories we have tonight are both intriguing and creepy enough to make your skin crawl. For our next monster sighting, we're heading up to Newcastle County. In 2017, a witness entered the woods on a bright and sunny morning. She said she felt a palpable sense of dread in the forest, 
but tried to ignore it as she made her way deeper into the tree line. At around 8.51 in the morning, she heard what she thought was a deer rustling in the brush. As she investigated the area, she came upon a large black shape sitting in the sunlight. She stopped in her tracks and studied the thing. The shape refused to move. It looked right back at her as it lay on the forest floor. The witness said even though she was terrified, she managed to fish out her cell phone and take a short video of the creature. How long did the two of them stare at each other? How long did they size each other up? The woman was too far away to make out any of the finer details, but she was close enough to make out the shape of the beast. She called it a dog man. The creature's massive size and near human inquisitiveness made the name feel right. She eventually retreated into a safer part of the forest and had a near breakdown. She began chain smoking and suffered frequent panic attacks. Whatever had been in the forest that day had forever changed her. If you get online and search for the Newcastle County, Delaware Dogman, you'll find the website she gave the video to. And while some of it seems overwrought, the National Cryptid Society did their best to debunk the video. While they couldn't conclusively narrow down what the creature might have been, they conceded it might have indeed been some kind of large canine. And it's shocking, but this isn't the first sighting of a large wolf-like creature in the region. Not by a long shot. The first encounter happened in 1944 in Frederick County, Maryland. Witnesses claimed they heard an animal making horrifying sounds in the forest. They hid, and after the creature left, they found wolf-like tracks and clear signs of furious thrashing. Sightings of the beast were scarce for the next 20 years, until a man calling himself John Becker reported being attacked in his backyard near Gambrel State Park. Becker had left his home to investigate what he called a strange noise when he saw something approaching from the woods. The animal was a gigantic wolf, big as a bear with long, shaggy fur and a bushy tail. The beast approached Becker, growling and snarling like a mad dog. As Becker made for the house, the wolf stood tall on its hind legs and ran toward him the way a human would. They came together in a melee of fists and claw and tooth. The creature, perhaps realizing it had bitten off more than it could chew, pulled away from the man and sprinted back into the woods on two legs, leaving the man and his family shaken, terrified, and unsure of what to do next. He decided to file an anonymous report with the state police. He adopted the alias John Becker and told them about the attack. He called the beast a Dwayo. Once the encounter became public knowledge, the local paper carried a written account of the episode. Within days, other newspapers began to report similar stories of people witnessing the Dwayo around the state park, until the reports tapered off and faded away by mid-December. While the local populace breathed a sigh of relief, the Dwayo wasn't done with their community quite yet. Once the weather had warmed, a man identified as Jim A encountered the beast while making his way back to a campsite. He too described it as a bipedal wolf-like creature, about the size of a deer. When Jim approached the beast, the Dwayo let loose some awful scream and retreated back into the woods. 
The oddest thing about the story is the way Jim described the way it walked. Its legs, quote, stuck out from the side of the trunk of the body, making its movements appear almost spider-like as it backed away. Could you imagine such a thing? Do you even want to? In 1976, further to the north near Thurmont, Maryland, two men were driving on Route 77 when they witnessed the beast sprint across the road in front of them. When describing the Dwayo, one of them reported that it was, quote, at least six foot tall, but inclined forward since it was moving quickly. Its head was fairly large and similar to the profile of a wolf. The body was covered in brown or brindle-colored fur, but the lower half had a striped pattern of noticeable darker and lighter banding. The forelegs were slimmer, and it held it out in front as it moved. The back legs were very muscled and thick, similar to perhaps a kangaroo. This was not a hominid-type creature. It did not have the characteristics of an ape. It was much more similar to a wolf or a ferocious dog. However, it was definitely moving upright and appeared to be adapted to that type of mobility. The man went on to say he was particularly impressed by the size and strength of the back legs, the stripes on the lower half of the body, and the canine, wolf-like head. Two years later, near Cunningham Falls, two park rangers encountered this strange wolf creature running through the forest away from them. Regardless of the fear that the Dwayo tends to inspire, it doesn't seem as intent on hurting someone as it did during that first encounter with Becker. Maybe it learned to avoid humanity like a plague. Seems like good enough advice. Perhaps the Dwayo has been avoiding people for longer than that. When Pennsylvania Dutch settlers came to Frederick County in the late 1700s, they almost immediately began seeing a large wolf-like monster they called the Hexen Wolf. That is a story for another day. If you take the time to look at all these places on the map, you can't help but notice how Newcastle County in Delaware lies almost directly to the east of Gambrel State Park in Cunningham Falls. Maybe the Dwayo skirted the edge of Baltimore, sticking to the forests in wilder parts of Maryland. Maybe it found its way into northern Delaware. And maybe it was the Dwayo sitting in the sunlight on that beautiful morning in 2017. Maybe. Our last story tonight takes us to the heart of Delaware in Kent County. While sightings of a Delaware Dwayo have been rare, there is one more paranormal canine left to find in the state. And that is the fence rail dog. On Highway 12, between the towns of Frederick and Felton, there are whispered stories of a large, ten feet long hound standing as tall as a fence rail. Fence rail dog is said to have glowing red eyes and has been known to be a solitary creature. Most sightings describe the hound sitting near the road and watching the passing traffic while it rains. Other times, the dog runs alongside the cars on the highway until it tires of the game and disappears into the shadows. Ask around and you'll get several different stories as to how the fence rail dog came to be. One tale describes a guilty criminal who was surrounded by local authorities. Rather than be sent to prison and hanged, the brigand took his own life, 
and was doomed to wander the earth with his soul trapped within a wolf's body. Other legends claim the fence-rail dog is the soul of a young slave boy who was murdered by a wicked slave master. Now the boy's spirit roams near the grave and protects others until the day he can finally lay his soul to rest. The most grisly tale involves a tenant, a landlord, and the landlord's beloved dog. During an ugly quarrel, the cruel tenant murdered the landlord. He chopped up the body, ground it into chuck meat, and fed it to the man's dog. After the dog ate its fill, the tenant killed the creature and left it to rot in the woods. Since that day, the dog's spirit has roamed, protecting those that would be harmed by other people. The general consensus is that fence-rail dog is some kind of spectral apparition. But what if it was really blood and bone, as material as you or me? There seems to be some disagreement about the dog's physical appearance. Some describe it as being very wolfish. Others, who have been lucky to witness fence-rail dog, describe it as pitch black and more reminiscent of a hyena taller at the shoulders with a sloped spine and squat back legs. Since the 1970s, sightings of strange hyena hybrids have been reported across North America. Montana, Idaho, Iowa, and even parts of Canada have all hosted stories of these creatures. The Iowa tribe even had a name for the beast, Shunka Wadakin, which translates literally into carries off dogs. Is it possible that it has taken up residence in Delaware? Maybe. Maybe a passing motorist catches the glimpse of Shunka Wadakin as they round the bend on Highway 12. Maybe the headlights make the beast's eyes appear red as they reflect light back at the driver. Maybe they mistake the creature's tall shoulders as its actual height. And maybe they're driving just slowly enough for the thing to give chase. After all, Hyenas have been observed running over 35 miles an hour. Maybe a Shunko Wadakin could run faster than that. Is the fence rail dog a flesh and bone migratory hybrid from out of state? Or is it an avenging spirit tied to the spot where tragedy befell it in life? Both possibilities are equal parts ridiculous and intriguing. But there are far stranger things we've already talked about here. So be sure to keep your eyes on the road if you're traveling the highway near Frederica at night. Because you'll never know if the creature running next to your car is there to protect you. Or if it's there to hunt you. Best to keep driving either way. The scariest things in the world might indeed reside within the human mind, but a close second might be an animal stalking you in the darkness. Many of the monsters we invent are directly tied to the fear of our earliest days as soft prey for anything with big teeth and a bigger appetite. That's the sort of ancestral inheritance that leads to our fascination with cryptids. That's why so many of these stories are at turns both laughable and fascinating, absurd and completely plausible. We know the law of the jungle, the law of claw and tooth. We see it play out every day around us. We try to pretend that we're removed from all this drama. We like to buy our flesh from cold and sterile supermarkets, pre-butchered with all traces of life removed. 
We divorce ourselves from bloody reality and embrace chicken patties with rib meat and pink slime nuggets. But we know better. We feel the pang of sympathy for the gazelle dragged down by a lion. We feel the doom of the hare as the hawk descends. We feel the fear of prey as we're stalked by unseen predators in the wild places. Sure, cynical folks can use the burnt swamp monster to sell fakery, the same way Asian merchants bamboozled superstitious sea captains. But for every faked swamp monster, there might be a dwayo lurking near your home. For every merman seated on a blue velvet cushion, there's a Shunka Wadakin waiting to pull you off your feet and drag you into the darkness. There's still spots on the map we haven't explored. There are still monsters lurking in the blank spaces, waiting for an unweary human to stumble past them in the night. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on the second episode of Delaware by Dark. I hope you enjoyed the little walk down the wilder paths of Delaware history. It would mean the world to us if you rated and reviewed us on your podcatcher of choice. If you don't feel like rating and reviewing, you can always share this episode with a friend, loved one, or the strange neighbor who's been working that weird meat grinder in grim silence. By the way, when's the last time you saw your landlord? If you've ever had a run-in with any of the creatures we talked about tonight, or if you want to give me your top five favorite cryptids, right into the show at randomdrawpodcast at gmail.com. We're planning on making this a month-long journey, and I would love to hear your spookiest stories. Delaware by Dark is a Random Draw production, and was written and hosted by Mark Belial. Hey, that's me! And produced and edited by super skeptic Dave Hubbard. We'll convince him one day, gang. Special thanks to all the dogs in my life, especially Kaylee, who I hope with all my heart to see running alongside my car on Highway 12 one rainy night. I miss you every day, girl. Next time, join us as we leave the paranormal behind for a week and learn that the scariest monsters most often hide among us in plain sight. In the meantime, stay safe, open your mind, and keep watching the shadows.